Okay, here we are. This is the Man Fuse Podcast. This is a very special episode. I am Kay Lee, audio producer, host, my co-host, Ben H., sitting across from me, not paying attention. What's up? Oh, he is. We have a special guest in studio. My brother, Craig, has blessed us with his presence all the way from Melbourne, Australia. Did I say Melbourne right? It's Melbourne. It's Melbourne. You can say it. You can say it like uh, Melbourne. Melbourne really depends. Definitely not Melbourne. Melbourne. Sorry. Sorry. I say Melbourne. Yeah, Melbourne's fine. Yeah. Like my dad will say Melbourne. And then it's kind of like trying a bit too hard. Yeah. But Melbourne. So you're saying our dad is a wannabe. No, no, not at all. <laughs> that's not a wannabe. He's a wannabe on He's a walk. I, I think I think he I think his ear he just tries to want to get it right. Ah. Uh-huh. You know, to make it sound like he's in Australia. That's right. Before we get into talking to P. Ruse about what's going on in Iran, um, we got to give a shout out to a couple listeners. First, happy belated birthday to our boy, Doug. Dougie, Dougie Fresh. Happy birthday, bro. Sorry. I know we're late, but hey, better late than never. And then we got to give a shout out to our listener in Australia. Vanessa, huge shout out. Just like Hannah in the UK. That's right. Vanessa wanted to order some merch. You know, shipping time and shipping costs to get to Australia was high. Um, And I even offered, I said, Vanessa, listen, it's funny that you're hitting me up because it was the day before my brother got here. So I said, Vanessa, you can avoid shipping. My brother's going to be here from Melbourne tomorrow. Tell me what you want. I'll order it. He'll bring it back with him. And then therefore you can either meet up with him or he could drop it in the mail when he gets back. And just like our great listener, Hannah, Vanessa said... Screw you. I don't want to impose. Spend time with your brother. I just went ahead and I just paid the extra shipping to where she could get what she needed to feel comfortable with her purchase. And, you know, Vanessa, we can't thank you enough. We for hope the you support. enjoy the gear. And maybe we need to uh, name a shirt after Vanessa. I'm in. Like we did Hannah. I'm down. All right. Hannah's well, got her own hoodie. Yeah. For Hannah. For Hannah hoodie. For Hannah hoodie. Well, can we name one? Uh... For Vanessa? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Vanessa V-Net. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love it. All right. So there you go. Whether you ordered a V-neck or not, Vanessa. Have that chest hair popping. <laughs> I don't think Vanessa's got chest hair. <laughs> no, no. I meant I would. Oh, you would. <laughs> on my Vanessa V. Oh, you're on your Vanessa V. All right. Yeah. So, Vanessa, you could probably look to our store in the near future to see the Vanessa V-neck. Thank you for your continued support. Talking with our buddy P. Ruse, who's kind of a contributor. Would you call P. Ruse a contributor? P. Ruse is definitely a contributor to the podcast. We've had him on once or twice before. But in the background, P. Ruse has been a great friend, a mentor to me. A true mensch. Like a big bro. You know, he's like one of my big brothers in the world. He used to own a company called The Grooming Lounge. That's right. And we do have his mailing list that we have adopted and started using. We appreciate it. Thank you, P. Ruse. But we will have him on in just a minute, actually, because we want to talk to him. He is from Iran. Iran. We want to talk about what is going on over there. Yes. Because it's tragic, and these people, in my opinion, the Do you say Iranian or the Iranian? Iranian. The Iranian people. I think it depends on where you're from. Iran! The Iranians want you to say Iranian. The Iranian. Not Iranian. <laughs> Iranians, them Iranians. 
Just to give a little light on the subject, I mean, if you don't know what's happening in Iran right now, you may not be paying attention to, you know, world news. But well, there's so much world news, it's kind of hard to grasp everything. But it's a disaster. I mean, you've got the people have been under the rule of a dictatorship for a long time, and the current young generation are against the way that society is held, and they want to see a more... Uh, inclusive, like democratic type society. And so they've been doing a lot of protesting and a lot of rebelling and 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 there's a lot of art and there's a lot of music. That doesn't fly with the dictators that are running things in that country. So they've recently um, initiated or voted into being the death sentence, which is in Iran immediately. It's not like you wait on death row for seven or eight years like you do here in the united states and it's we like feed you and, you're being uh, hung this saturday they just hung a 12 year old yesterday they hung another guy these are young people who are speaking up for their sovereignty for the sovereignty of their nation for the hope of more of a democratic process a better life and they're being publicly killed by their government legally in the face of the world and it's tragic that that's occurring, but that is literally just a small look at like the tip of the iceberg, which is the Iranian people's struggle since the late 70s when the mullahs took over. I was however many years old the other day when I learned that Iran used to be like a happening spot. Nightclubs. Oh, yeah. They had all the freedoms that typically we did. That would be a place where You'd go and party. Yeah. In terms of natural resources, it's just rich and all things beautiful about geography and topography and just, it's a beautiful place. But Piruz can tell us a different side of the story because when he was, I believe, seven or eight, his family escaped. We want to hear it from his perspective and because both of his parents are Iranian. For me, you know, my parents are from here in America. And we look I didn't like. But we look back in our lineage, you know, most of us here in America is some lineage, you know, for people that immigrated over here and it's mixed up. But if you think about it, his parents were born in Iran and they escaped. Right. So he just had a son whose name is Baron, who is now the first born on American soil. And it's 2022. It's kind of crazy to think about it that way. Very much so. You know what I mean? And you, Craig, and we're going to get into some of your travels, but I guess the closest you've been to Iran is Israel, right? Yeah, I mean, I've been to Egypt, uh, Israel, all over the Gulf, went to Oman, went to Qatar, went to Dubai, United Arab Emirates, uh, beautiful cultures there. But just as sort of what Ben was getting through, you know, with Iran and what the people are going through at the moment, most of the Middle Eastern world is really trying to open up. Mm -hmm. uh, But there's also a lot that they don't know and you don't see right. all, from all the glitz and glamour. A lot of uh, things taking place in the World Cup, but, you know, that's opening up another can of worms there. Get Peru's on? Yeah, let's get him on, man. See that tip right there? Oh, yeah. This Fond- tip? That's the tip. Oh. Fondle the tip. In this case, just the tip is accurate. Yes. Unless the hole is the tip. Right. In this case, the tip would just be a smaller if portion the of the fits. hole. I love your logic. <laughs> the art of deduction. What's up, bro? What's up, brother? P. Ruse. P. Ruse, welcome to the Man Fused podcast. You're on with myself, Ben H., Kaylee, and Kaylee's (laughs) brother, Craig, from Australia. Hello. 
I haven't seen Craig since before the pandemic, and because he lives so far away, I only get to see him every, you know, three or four years anyway, and so he has blessed us with his presence. He's staying at my house for a month with his wife and two kids. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, man. And so- uh, Happy to be a burden. You are no burden, my friend. Craig has literally traveled the world. He's very worldly. I wanted to get him on the podcast while we had him, and I thought he would be a great mix into our conversation with you. How's everything going in your life right now? Everything in my life is uh, groovy, good, Ben knows. I have no complaints, man. I'm just grateful and happy each and every day and thankful. That's yeah, great. So. And how's your son, Baron? Good. He's, uh, he didn't want to go to school today. Oh, no, but, they never yeah. do. That's an, that's an everyday know, occurrence. But, yeah, but, you know, of course, I had to bribe him. How old is he? He's going to turn four uh-huh. in February. Oh, but nice. If you meet him, he looks like he's eight. He's right. He's yeah, my daughter, who's two and a half, is like wears clothes of that of a five-year-old. She is a big girl. She was the smallest born, but she's the biggest. But here's the thing. I think it's okay to say like, hey, he's a big boy. Is it okay to say she's a big girl? I do. (laughs) It changes around puberty, I think. Yeah, no, I mean. You don't want to call her a beast. No, no, she is a beast, dude. She's huge. I didn't say she's a beast, exactly. (laughs) Well, no. I I held my tongue. He can do it because it's his daughter. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) but we're not saying it as in she's just, she's in the 98 percentile for her height and for her weight. She's just, she's tall. Yeah. If you know when she's oh, on the okay. soccer field and she's kicking ass, then you can say, "Dude, she's a beast." Yeah, exactly. But if you wouldn't say like, "Cause of her size," she's a beast. On the- I didn't say it's a huge. <laughs> that's bitch. a huge bitch. <laughs> yeah. When you say she's a big girl, I mean, you know, some girls take that very personal. That's right. Well, yeah. but she's I'm tall. talking about she's a two tall. and a half year old, yeah. not a self conscious teenager or full grown woman. Big boy, big girl. Yeah, yeah big boy. That's right. I'm joking. I'm yeah, I know. I totally get it. Listen, we wanted to talk to you, and uh, Ben and I have, over the last, I don't know, a few episodes, we've kind of touched on Iran and everything that's going on there, and I thought you would be able to offer a very unique inside <coughs> perspective of just the type of shit that, you know, the Iranian people are dealing with. Well, absolutely. I mean, being a person who escaped from that country when I was uh, around seven years of age, I know a couple of things and I happen to pay quite a bit of attention to what's happening in that part of the world. And I constantly get updates and videos, some that I couldn't even share with people because they're so sad and gruesome and bad. And some are exciting because it's just these young people beating the crap out of these disgusting mullahs. And just to give you like the two minute background of how all this started, you know, Iran was a monarchy. Iran was actually a country that created human rights, uh, even though it's kind of an oxymoron to say that nowadays. They were the creators of human rights. And, you know, the Persian Empire dates back thousands of years. It's true. And so when I was growing up in Iran, Iran was a monarchy and we had a king. He wasn't the best king. He wasn't the best guy. And there were a lot of people who wanted democracy. Yet at the same time, He took a country and a region in the world and really made it forward thinking and really helped it progress and brought it to a whole different level. Around 1978, 1970, right when Jimmy Carter came into power, around that time, they started looking at Iran as a place where the way the world works, the superpowers work, they start focusing in certain areas like, what do they have there that we want? Right. The king, the Shah, who was investing a lot in infrastructure, investing in, you know, basically uh, progressing the country, sending people out to get educated, to come back to the country. We lived in a country where healthcare was free, education was free, and you got the best of the best. 
as this was progressing, they wanted to nationalize oil. They wanted to raise the price of oil. He wanted to make Iran something that stood on his own. The British government and the American government didn't really agree with that. We have a saying in Iran, if you took a beard of a mullah or an ayatollah and lifted his beard up, it would say made in the United Kingdom. And I'll explain <laughs> there, there was no mullahs in Iran, even 100 years back. British were interested in our oil. We have a tremendous amount of oil. The Persian Gulf, not called the Arabian Gulf. We're not Arabs by any means. Nothing against my Arab brothers and sisters. We're Persians. Persian Gulf, where most of the oil in the world, you know, or, or, excuse me, in that region comes from, was a big interest to both British Petroleum, OPEC, and the Americans. The Shah wanted to keep this internal, raise the prices, and just have Iran become very self-sufficient. The Americans approached the Shah back then to go to war with Iraq, and he didn't want to go to war with Iraq because he didn't see any need or any necessity to attack Saddam Hussein or the Iraqi people because there was going to be a lot of casualties, and what the hell were we going to do with a desert? And well, we had our own oil. And there was an Iraq-Iran war there previously. Well, let me tell you what happened is after the uh, revolution that was caused by the British and the Americans, uh, the first thing that happened was Iran I and see. Iraq went to war. America started selling weapons to Iran and to Iraq. So it's like normally, a forcing mechanism to go to war. Absolutely. And, and normally when these things happen, I mean, you were a soldier, Ben, you were in Iraq, mm. right? Yes. Think about it. Go into a country like Iraq or think of a country like Iran. But look at what happened in these areas. And then after what happened is everybody hates us Americans. We don't like the Americans. Nobody touches the British embassy in Iran. Nobody mm -hmm. touches the British embassy in Iraq. And, you know, we go in there. I can say this now as an American. Do all the work. We're basically Britain's bitch. Think about this little country, the United Kingdom. They control Australia. Think about all the areas in the world that these people have their hands in and what they've done. So what happened was when this Ayatollah Khomeini, before this uh, piece of shit came into power, he was exiled in France. And so the Shah had kicked him out of the country. He was exiled in France. Meanwhile, different people mm -hmm. from the Americans to the British and so on and so forth were right. taking care of this guy there, keeping him at bay. Around 1978 in England, they started making pictures and printing posters of Ayatollah Khomeini. And so Jimmy Carter, he basically fooled the Shah into thinking like, hey, we're on your side. We're going to work with you. We'll get through this. This is very important. What happened around 78, 79, former king of Jordan came to Iran and the ambassador of Iran here in the United States uh, named Ardashir Zahedi, he came to Iran. Both of them told the king, hey, shut the American embassy down, shut the British embassy down, shut all of these embassies down, kick him out of the country yeah. for a while. And the reason the king of Jordan advised them to this, he's like, look, they tried to overthrow me. Yeah. I kicked them out. Five years later, everything was fine. The Shah at that point was sick. He had cancer. Nobody knew this. And he kept saying, well, you know, what, what are these people going to think? He was a weak man. He was a good king. He was not a strong leader. Next thing you know, they start the riots. The Americans basically encourage the students to break into their own embassy. They were part of this. And they caused this ruckus. And the Iranian people were fooled by this because they're like, oh, my God, we're going to have democracy. The king is gone. Now we get to vote. Now we get to do this. Now we get to do that. And what happens is this mullah, this ayatollah, 42 years ago, 41 years ago, comes to town. I was there. This is the same guy that was exiled in France. In France. Ayatollah and, and Khomeini. What does mullah mean? Mullahs are those uh, idiots that wear the, uh, you know, they're clerics, essentially. And they're the guys who wear the turbans. Got it. Consider themselves men of God. But I don't know what sort of men of God kill 12-year-old kids, 
Are they Persian? People. Are they Persian? They are from a part of Iran called Om. They come from different parts of Iran. Got it. You know, same thing where that morality police comes from. They're not the most educated people. It's like very draconian, like ISIS kind of Sharia law type ideals. Kind of, but imagine if nothing against people from Mississippi, but people from the backwoods of Mississippi in certain areas <laughs> took over a country. Uh, you know hey, man, I mean? they're my people you're talking about. Hey, man. I'm a swamp <laughs> people. We're swamp people. So, I can tell you exactly what I experienced. Imagine you wake up and you look out your window and there's thousands and thousands of people on the street. You're you know? seven years old. You got a mom and a dad. You have well, an older are, sister. People are celebrating, you know, thinking that, oh, the regime change and a democracy. And that's what they fooled people into thinking. The Ayatollah lands, they even went to the Shah, even Gaddafi, his other world leaders. Once I was like, listen, if you want, we'll take him out. And he yeah. said, no, big mistake. So this guy lands, comes in the country, you know, celebrating. I went to a school where we used to speak French and English. And there was a picture of a king and a queen and the American president sometimes yeah. in some classes. I remember going to school for 24 hours before my mother yanked me out. And then all of a sudden there's a picture of a guy with a turban. Everybody's in a uniform and they're handing you a Quran to read. Right. I remember the day I walked out of that school, they were handing out guns to kids like Uzis and AK-47s. Who was handing guns to kids? As the revolution started to proceed and started to take place, they started breaking into military barricades. They started taking over all the arms in the country, people that supported the Ayatollah Khomeini. Our doorman in our building was an opium addict. He became the head of the neighborhood. All of a sudden, he had a gun. So it's interesting because there were supporters of this movement at the time, there obviously. There were supporters of this movement, the, the parents of these kids who are uh, reacting now. Yeah. Some of their parents, some of these people were supporters of this movement. But some of the people were like, wait a minute, what the hell is going on? They're right. taking all my alcohol away. They're arresting me. All of a sudden, they start executing everybody, killing everybody, arresting everybody. Was it based on Sharia law? Is that what it was based on? It was on? based on the fact that we're going to eliminate anybody and everybody that has to do with the West or the Americans or the king or whoever. It didn't matter. When I was a kid, we always had people from the American embassy. There's actually a new show on HBO you guys should watch called Hostages. And some of those guys used to hang out at my family's home. They yeah. were friends of ours. Yeah. They spoke fluent Farsi, these Americans. And, you know, they were either in the CIA or they worked at the embassy or whatever. I mean, I don't even know their CIA background. Anybody who has a fucking brain cell can tell you, you know, these guys clearly worked undercover. Yeah. They used to record all the conversations they'd be having with my uncles. The day they discovered those tapes at the American embassy, my family was in trouble. So the people that yeah. were supporting it initially, they didn't really know what they were going to get. They didn't realize what it was going to do to everyday life. Well, it's true, too. I mean, like you said with the doorman, I mean, all of a sudden you give the doorman a freaking AK-47 and say, okay, here's a badge. You're no longer a doorman. You're the freaking captain that's in charge of this Can area. Can you imagine the chip on his shoulder? Any orders that we give you, you're in charge now. You've got to also know that a lot of the people that were the supporters of these sort of movements are men. Yeah. Because they're not the ones disadvantaged. The women are always the ones that are subjugated, disadvantaged. Yeah, true. The morality police, when they killed that young girl in custody and started all those protests, everyone is uprising, even men, because we know it's wrong. Yeah. But there's so many people out there that have this old world mentality, Sharia law going with the Quran, and it's so hypocritical. Um, it is. It's people horrible. People just, they suffer at the hands of idiots. Take this morality police and take all these other people who are not Iranian. First of all, 
this had been planned by other people, just right. like what's going on now has been planned. Yes. And I'll explain this in a second. That's a bigger but picture. This is all but it's planned. the same. You can't come into a country with that much wealth. That's kind of a military. That's smart. That This isn't Iraq where you can take over this place in 20 minutes. Iran was, was and is very advanced. So this was all planned behind the scenes. So all these people that came in were getting training outside the country. Now, who was funding this training? The money wasn't coming out of the sky. All the stuff that happened behind the scenes to overthrow the king, to take over this country, to, to, to suck the oil out of the people and to suppress that area so that more weapons can be sold. This wasn't planned out of the sky. This was planned by some of the superpowers behind the scenes. I mean, right. this is clear fact. I'm not the only one who would say something like this. So when this happened, not everybody thought that they would have to cover themselves. As the weeks went on, I remember being there as more and more people got killed. It became more and more restricted. People would go on rooftops. I remember when I was like seven at that point, and you would hear them shooting guns in the air saying, Allah, they would tell you to go on your roofs and spring, you know, and scream, God is great. Allah Akbar, God is great. Allah Akbar, God is great. Now, mind you, this is a country where you have Jews, Christians, Armenians, very, very diverse country. These morons, these people, this evil is the minority. Yeah. They happen to have guns. This is what happened. So the backfires on the Americans, fast yeah. forward time, all these mullahs, all these clerics, all these people have sucked the blood out of this country, have made a lot, a lot, a lot of money. That was his name, Khamenei, the guy who's a supreme leader, is worth billions of dollars. As the four of us are speaking right now, these mullahs are moving gold and money out of the country because they're afraid they're going to fall. They're buying land in Australia. They're buying land in New Zealand. They're buying land anywhere they can buy land. While they've restricted women from wearing mini skirts or holding hands and doing all this shit that they're you know, punishing other people for. Right. They're all doing the same thing, but in England, in New York City. That's right. In Toronto, open societies. Yeah. In open society. Right. So they're like, it's all bullshit. Right. So, and the country is run by what's called the Revolutionary Guard. The Revolutionary Guard, this council, is, it's basically this guy Khamenei and a few other people with these fucking turbans on. These are the people running the show. Now, they're the minority. There's over 100 million people in Iran, 95 million of them, children, the young people who right. are now exposed to Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, who see the better life, who smell freedom, right. want to change. Yes. They don't want to be told what to do. They don't want to necessarily be subjected or be, you know, oppressed by a religion. They right. don't want to not be able to hold hands and go get a beer or do whatever they want to do. There's one thing I can tell you about Iranians is they're very educated. Very. So when they're seeing this, they're like, what the fuck? We don't want to be a part of this. Right. And this young lady, this girl that got killed, I heard they're executing a soccer player. I saw that. Uh, yeah, we're speaking up against it. When I was seven, they kidnapped my father's uh, uncle. One of my, He was my great uncle. And we didn't know where the guy was. And I remember a bag being delivered to our home where his body parts cut up. Oh, my pieces. God, dude. They've taken people, like, to prove a point to a guy. They'll kidnap a guy's wife. They'll cut her breasts and send it to the guy in the back. They are evil, evil, evil. Well, and, and, they're, and they're doing that because they want to instill number one thing they fear. need to keep control, and that is fear. 100%. And so what's happening today, the students, this is the first time ever. First of all, the women, you got to give props to the women. Mad props. Mad props. Because these women were like, fuck this. They stood up to this. They came forward. They started demonstrating. Women have been breaking into military barricades. Think about how much balls these women have. These Big women time. will take their burqas off. Will go in the middle of the street and shave their heads to prove a point. Basically, this will get them killed. Right. They don't care. People have had it. And... 
what's happened too is that while the mullahs and the revolutionary guard and all the people that are involved in this regime have millions and billions of dollars everyone else is starving everyone else has to pay five dollars for one egg inflation is out of control their money has no value so people are like fuck this what do i have to lose i'm right. gonna die anyway in a way these people are already yeah. dead they're, they're not living a life of value they're living a life of subjugation so mm. what do they have to lose you know if if anything they have everything to win everything to gain by standing up and doing what they feel is right what is it going to take i mean do you see this rise a revolution for them are they going to take this to the next level or are they going to end up you know, seeing all the executions and then back down and then, you know, go. Well, here's the thing. The students have come out. There's been strikes. The more strikes you have, the better it is. Right. Right. These people need help. They're like, they're even saying you don't have to come to this to our country. Arm us. You're arming the Ukrainians. Look what they're doing. Arm us. Ayatollah Joe Biden, this is what we call him, the guy sitting in the White House, he's talking about a nuclear arms deal. I mean, I know Iranians, Ben, that donated millions and millions and millions of dollars to Trump's campaign because they thought, you know, because they're all Republican, most Iranians, and they thought he was going to do something. Right. Trump doesn't even know where it is. Uh, couldn't even tell you where Iran is on a map. Biden, who doesn't know whether he's a Venus or Mars right now, Ayatollah Biden, he's done nothing to recognize these people. He has done nothing to help these people. He met with the guy from France, uh, the president of uh, France. Marcon? Uh, yeah, Macaroon? Macron is even like, maybe we should figure out a way to work with the regime. The regime kills people, you know? And if Macron had balls, if these people had balls, and if the American, put it this way, if the American government and the British government want this to stop and for this to change, they can make it happen overnight. These mullahs would be gone overnight. Piers, with what's going on in Iran, do you think it's a bit of a tipping point if these people succeed in protesting and taking over their own government, changing things the way that they want them to be? Do you think it sends like um, an international signal to the other authoritarian governments to be very careful about what they choose to do with their own people? China, Russia, China's situation with Taiwan uh, and the reunification process, but they're also their social scoring. You know, they're very oppressive to their own people. But then you've got uh, Kim Jong-un in North Korea. There's a lot of uprisings at the moment. I think that if you can get a group of Iranians, right, these are educated people. Even their cookbooks date back 2,000 years. You know what I mean? So if you can get a culture like this, who are just who are at a point now where they're like, you know what? What's the point of living? Who cares? Let's just go out there and do whatever we can. And if they get a little bit of help from the West, just a little bit of help. I've talked to Iranians in Iran who are like, listen, we don't even care. Take the goddamn oil. We as the youth of this country will make a deal with any of these countries. We're not here to suppress the oil or to nationalize oil. We just want to be able to walk down the street and get a beer. We just want to be free. We don't want to watch people hanging in our streets or being executed. If these guys can make an impact, if this continues, I absolutely believe that it can have a ripple effect in other countries as well. 100%. Well, and to that point, let me just say this. You know, unfortunately, it seems like the government is winning. Unfortunately, the power, the actual power, the weaponization, the force of law and the overarching international support by not doing anything is the same as supporting what they're doing. It worries me because I see the trend 
going in this direction, Iran being an example of what can happen with a closed society, but even COVID measures, the way that they were implemented during the pandemic and the way that people reacted to that and the way that people are still reacting, that may be a lighter weight example and possibly an example for governments to look at and say, hmm, maybe we do have a little bit more power than we thought. Because, bro, if, if I'm the president of the United States, there's nothing more important than shit like this. Why is freedom not reigning? The majority of the people want democracy. They want freedom. Why is it not? Because we have these people within these countries that can stand up and lead. What is the stranglehold? Is it the British monarchy? I mean, what is the stranglehold? Look, the, the, I can tell you this, Ben. Why can't the Iranian this people, happen? The Ara- like Django. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> the Iranian people want American products. They want American influence. They want to be Western. America's always huh? interjected themselves into places where they don't belong. And I don't think it's like the situation in Ukraine where a foreign power has invaded another country. This is an internal matter within Iran. You're also getting politically involved, and it's a really, really difficult situation in Afghanistan, Syria, yeah, Iraq. Afghans. So right now there's this uh, problem with the Russians and the Ukrainians. We saw what Russia's what army is like, right? Who do you think is supplying Russia with their drones and their Iran. Iran, 100%. And who is the biggest threat to the Israelis? Iran. Iran. They have nuclear weapons. But it's not the Iranian people, the people who control Iran. Yeah, the people in control. That's why regime change is necessary, number one, and not just for the safety and the livelihood and the protection of the people for many other reasons. I just wanted to say this. I have grown up in this country, and one of the things I've learned about the U.S. is there's two things. You're right. We stick our nose where we don't belong. We'll go into a culture that's thousands of years old and we'll say, okay, you know, we're coming in, we're going to attack you, we're going to bring our military, and we're going to take your fucking oil, whether you like it or not, because we want to lower the price of gas. There is that part of America, but then there's the other part of America that makes it the greatest country on the planet. The only country where you have opportunity, where you have freedom, where guys like us can have a podcast or can start our own business and raise our families and create opportunities for ourselves. I mean, there's no other country like the United States ever. Currently, Currently. hopefully our kids will get to experience the same thing. And it's not our kids having to exile somewhere like your family did. And then looking back at our country, like you look at your home country, Iran. Wokeness is where where all this bullshit leads to communism. When I was sitting at home that day and I was watching what was happening on January the 6th, I'm not an anxious person. I don't get nervous. It gave me anxiety because it reminded me of Iran. The beautiful thing about this country is that we have a democracy. There's a peaceful transfer of power. Right. There's all these things that go on. That's now, right. Granted, we have a president, but I don't think Biden Trump, or any of these guys run anything. I don't think they run the world. What's you know, the military industrial hand. complex? And you're right. I look at where we are. I hear people complaining when one group is like, it's him. He won and this and that. Whether you're extremist right or you're extreme to the left, it's not good. No. It's not good. One thing I do have to interject and say is that I do find that one thing very special about America is Americans are extremely proud to be an American. One thing that comes out of that pride is the assumption that they're the only ones with the beauty of freedom and with the ability to have opportunity. And I can probably say that there's about 40% of the world, if not more, that have just as much, if not more freedoms than Americans do. Where I am currently living in Australia, I can tell you 
um, we are just as free, if not freer. Um, so maybe perhaps when we're, we're sharing our pride, we can just understand that America is, is great, it's beautiful, but it's not the only one. We're speaking on behalf of all the free countries, all the free people out there, people who have the same ideals, the same wants and needs, um, the same wishes for everybody. I was fortunate enough to spend a good bit of time in Australia. And I have to say, it's one of the most advanced cultures I've been around. I think it's a wonderful place. If my family wasn't here, I was even thinking about staying. This is a good time. Yeah, we've That's got a lot of Iranians that. there, too. There's, there's yeah, a there's huge a Middle Iranians. Eastern culture. And what I hear from my brother, you know, when I talk to him about, you know, throughout the years of him living there and the quality of life, you know, whether it be health care, like their health care is superior by far right. to ours. Oh, ours is horrible. Yeah, right. The amount of time off, they call it holidays, but the amount of time holidays. off that my brother would get from yeah. his career right. versus what the average American slaves and gets right. one week a year, yeah, you know, unpaid vacation no, and, time. And their retirement, having fun or being happy in America is always put on layaway. It's like, oh, one day. Yeah, it's not I'm even cool. <laughs> yeah, and I'm going to move to Florida and I'm going to do this. Where in that part of the world, they're like, every day is a fucking holiday, man. It's summertime. We're taking four weeks off. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah well, I'm actually you know? missing my, my summer at the moment. Damn uh, to it. Come here in winter. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I, I have four weeks leave. And when I get back, I'll have 0.97 days of, of annual leave left. I get one week for every quarter of the year that I, I work. I get sick days. Um, the parental leave is really incredible. It's subsidized by the government and the employer. Most women get up to about 36 weeks um, for parental leave when they have a baby. That's awesome. Um, 36 weeks. Yeah. Four months. My wife, my wife Eve, she actually right? was able to take off an Something. entire year and she <laughs> spread out the payments. So weeks. she had. It's a little more than half a year, right? She she nine months. Year. Is it not? Sorry. I'm trying to do math. How long <laughs> is 36 weeks? Nine months? 36 seven weeks, weeks. 36 seven months. divided by four is nine right yeah yeah nine yeah, months. it is nine months yeah good job I, that's why i was doing the i was like wait a minute so Hold nine on. months and minute. that's paid well it's a combination between what the government awesome. gives and what your employer gives and you get more if you've been with an employer for longer but my wife was able to take off an entire year and she spread out her maternity payments wow so she was actually able to get paid weekly yeah for a full year you know, she had long service leave as well, which is something you build up. So in Australia, when you work for seven years at a company, you're automatically entitled to long service leave and you're able to cash that in at 10 years. And that is three months of, of paid leave that you get to take whenever you want. Great quality of life. And and while we get to enjoy the ability and as you were saying, Peruse, the opportunity to become whoever we want, you could be the boss, you could be the owner and you could take as much time off as you want. But for the average middle class, lower class, paycheck to paycheck stuff, you know, the one week a year. Better than living in Iran yeah, under totally. the rule of, you know, some assholes who are dictating what well, you can wear and it, what you can do. It, it's frustrating to me how, how people want to act all virtuous when really there's people in this world that don't need your virtue. They need your support. They need the support of your government. They need the support of your military to get themselves out of a bad situation. That's humanitarian. It always comes in the way of what is true power. And it's an alliance. It's the alliance of global powers that allows that nation to execute people. 
because they know nobody's going to do shit. What are you going to do? It's a shame. So back when you were seven, what was that like having to escape the country? Well, uh, the first person that left was my father. I remember coming out of this complex that my father had helped build because the 1984 Olympics were supposed to be in Iran, not Los Angeles. And we were coming out of this Olympic park. And I never forget the day the American embassy got attacked. We were like right there. And I didn't really know what my dad did other than him being a martial artist. You know, he pioneered martial arts in Iran. Oh, shit. But, I uh, didn't know that. Your dad's a badass. Yeah, he is. And, you know, he was part of the police force. And then I remember our car. I never forget a guy tried to reach into the back seat of the car where my sister was sitting. And my father is like, lock the doors. I'll be right back. And he got out and, you know, body slammed on one guy, beat up another guy. It was like a clear and present danger. That's like, awesome. Oh, that's Your dad dumb, was like, dude. Steven Seagal. Yeah, like yeah. yeah. Action, man. Then, you know, Your dad's like you know, Donnie Yen. <laughs> next thing you know, a gun comes out of his ankle. And, you know, and I, and I just saw him in action. And I was like, holy shit, life is about to change. You know, I wow. knew life was changing. After a few days when they found everything, you know, when they went into the records of the American embassy and found the tapes, especially with my family on it. I remember being in a car, listening on the radio, saying, if you know this family, let us know. They were coming after us. So we went into hiding for quite a while. And we were hiding in different homes, different places where people couldn't find us, different areas in the country. From time to time, we would sneak back into our home. I would go with my parents. We would sneak back into our home where my dad would take other weapons and other things out of the, you know, Holy the storage. Shit. Did your dad have like a secret door that you press a button and oh, it yeah. would slide and it would be like Rambo getting ready? That's badass. Yeah, it didn't slide. <laughs> I do remember whenever we'd go home to restock on clothes, underwear, whatever you would see bullet holes in our windows you would see, like, it was just insane because people were trying to attack this place where we live which was magnificent i mean it's a shame i don't even know what the hell happened to it they tried delivering bombs to our home i mean it was crazy Piruz, you're, then, you're incredibly um, fortunate because a lot of other people were probably in your situation but didn't have someone who was that skilled to get them through that type of situation and to yeah. know when you could go back home the knowledge to just stock up true, and restock man. and keep things at bay until you needed them that's incredibly uh lucky for you that's like jason Bourne. yeah that's yeah. like i mean that is he escaped so he went to dubai and then we were there for a while i didn't even know he was in dubai but at that point they arrested different members of my family my uncle ali was a helicopter pilot and you know he was a badass as well they arrested him they were constantly trying to get information out of him he wouldn't talk so they put him in a cell and right behind his cell, I was having this conversation with him a few weeks ago, people were being executed. Oh so imagine they were trying to get information out of one of my uncles all day, every day. He wouldn't talk and all he would hear is people getting killed behind him. Jeez, That's it. Dude. This is, the, this is how ruthless and brutal these people were, so, right? Torture people. And then my grandfather at one point was a politician. And so my grandfather, he'd taken care of a lot of families. A lot of these people who are, like, let's say, lower class, since these people had come up in society, they knew him mm -hmm. as a good guy. So they right. helped. One time we tried to escape. The night before, we got pulled over by uh, the Revolutionary Guard. It was my mom and I, my sister, and another lady that was good friends with my mom. And I remember them pulling us over, guns pointing at us and all this other shit. And then they let us go. And then, so we didn't do anything for a week. A journalist who lived down the street from my grandparents, riding my bike by a car where they had a gun in his mouth and they fucking shot him. It was just constant, constant. You gotta understand, from the age of three to nine, you guys are all dads. That's when your, uh, your tiny seeds are developed. 
your self-image is created and your right. self-image is who you are. Where you are in life has a lot to do with who you are and That's what right. your self-image of yourself is. This is when my self-image is being developed and I'm seven years old and I'm seeing all this shit. We're about to get out and a friend of the family to get money basically tells on us. Mm. So oh, we had shit. to change our name again and we escaped through like some crazy routes, end up in Dubai. At that point, my, my dad's like, we gotta go. And we're like, where? He'd gotten a job in Dubai. He was going to train the police force and martial arts and, you know, all sorts of stuff. They're like, listen, the Iranians wow. were trying to kidnap my father. We changed our names under an alias. We moved to Greece, didn't speak the language, didn't know one fucking person. Imagine you go from all of that, from a lap of luxury to like middle of nowhere in Athens. And then uh, we couldn't get anywhere because anywhere we wanted to go, they're like, we're not giving passports to the Iranians. We're not doing this. We're not doing that. We're like, what the fuck? So we end up in Paris. Paris was a horrible place at that time because it's a known fact if you ever want to assassinate anybody, do it in France because, you know, they'll sell their own soul to, to let anybody. <laughs> First day we're there, my dad, one of his best friends was a prince, uh, one of the, you know, Shaw's nephews. We were going to go see him, hear a motorcycle, you hear the uh, machine guns going. So they assassinated him. Then my dad came to the U.S. He got political asylum. We couldn't go right away, my, my mom and my uh, sister. Right. We had to wait in Paris to protect us. They moved us literally to one of the worst areas. Every night when we're walking home, my mom, my sister and I were in the hood. We got our visas and everything else and came here and, and coming here. I think I was silent for three months. I went to school with a bunch of other Iranian kids. We used to lie and not tell people where we were from back then because we didn't want to be attacked. When you watch the Iranian kids fight after school, because we all were D.C. area, but we weren't in the areas you came to, Ben. We were right. in part of Virginia where there was more rednecks than anything else. I don't blame the rednecks. They don't fucking know who we are, what we are, or anything about our culture. When we would get attacked, a bunch of kids came to our house and they toilet paper our homes. All I knew how to do was, you know, I, I, my dad had bought me this bow and arrow. And so all I knew how to do was like dip it in alcohol, put it on fire and then shoot it into the, I burned Dude, the Rambo. <laughs> Fucking but, Rambo. But they won't be coming back to your house that next Halloween. A, my point is that was what I was exposed to as a right. kid. All you guys were coming see. with blades and oh, yeah. fire lit You don't want to fuck with those Iranian kids. So Peru's fascinating, uh, your upbringing and just who you are today and what kind of a person you are today. Do you think for Iran right now, if you had to make a guess, do you think there's a real possibility of them continuing forward and steamrolling and, you know, getting these people out and setting up their own way of life for they have to have other governments help to do it? Well, the optimistic side of me says yes, uh, and I and I'm only optimistic. I don't I don't have it. I don't have a pessimistic side. Yeah, me so neither. So yeah, I mean, I, the the optimist in me, the the, the person who uh, who believes in the unknown and believes in faith, says yes. Um, but I think that you know that the only thing that's a challenge here is that again, when you have 90 million people. If you have 90 million, but then 10 million have the guns, tipping points happen in different ways. So we right. brought up the word tipping point earlier, to Craig's point, is very similar to consciousness. Consciousness spreads, right? Yeah. So in other words, if the four of us wanted to make an impact in the world, 
and we wanted to get to all 8 billion people. I mean, this planet was essentially made for 3.6 billion, where we have 5 billion too many. You know, but if we wanted to get to all 8 billion people, we don't need uh, 5 billion people. You can do it to, through 100 million people. I think that you have the people that you, you have everything in place to overthrow these people. Right. They just need help. They'll continue fighting because they haven't stopped. I mean, I get videos every day. Every time you kill one of them, you make them stronger. That's right. Every man. time you kill a small child, like a couple of days ago, another 12-year-old, you make them stronger. When they hang the soccer player who's like a hero in the country, they're going to hang them and you're going to make them stronger. Nobody deserves to be hung. Nobody deserves to be executed. They're talking about executing 15,000 people in prison because they're using that as a fear tactic. Fear tactics after a while weaken the the side that's trying to spread the fear. Yeah. I mean it's it's a known thing, but they need help, you know. Right. If the American government wants this if the british government if there are other people if it, all they need is just they don't even need a lot of help they need give them one percent of the fucking help you're giving ukraine and see what these people would do look what they're doing without it already right and see what they would do hopefully this will get to uh someone and somebody will hear it and hopefully this is a way that we can you know affect positive change for yeah. The people of Iran. Thank you so much for your time today. As always, no you gave us an awesome conversation yeah, with man. an immense perspective. And hope you have a great holiday. Much love for your family and whatnot. And we'll try to get up with you at the first of the year. Awesome, man. Appreciate right. you, Pete. I knew he'd have more info than 15 minutes. Did you but... see how he jumped into it immediately? Oh, yeah. You Bro. were right. You could do four hours, talk with him the whole time, and just get I'm his memory you. of all of oh. that. That's just incredible that he... He's an incredible guy, too. I mean, I've been involved in multiple companies that he's had where he has literally, over the years, he consult with him on things that he's doing to be a part of what it is that he's doing. He's a really great guy. I've learned a lot from him. So, yeah. Yeah. We know. thank him for that. Yeah. So that's going to conclude part one of this episode. Check back with us next week to hear part two. We'll get into my brother, all about his travels, and then we're going to lighten things up with a three-way reading of an erotic novel. Ooh. Check out our man-fused gear. It'll be in the episode link. Listen to us. Available wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, Spotify, you name it. Get uh, some gear. Get some gear, support the show. If you want to join the show, hit us up at manfuse.com. 